Welcome to the Sports Field Management Podcast. I'm your host, John Kamita, Associate Publisher and Editorial Brand Director of Sports Field Management Magazine. For this month's focus on irrigation, we bring you the following excerpt from an STMA conference presentation on the topic of smart irrigation. The speaker, Ben Polymer, is Fields and Grounds Coordinator for the Town of Weston, Massachusetts. With that, here's Ben Polymer. So do we need a smart irrigation control system? Um, so some of these are, these are questions you need to ask yourself. So how many controllers do you have? I have a town, fairly small town in Massachusetts. We had 13 controllers around town. Soccer complex, baseball complex, schools, recreation sites, kind of all over town. Um, how many do you have? Do you have one? Are you a stadium or are you a town? So you need to look at that, multiple sites, multiple locations. You might have a high school. My high school has four irrigation controllers just at the high school. Uh, you know, do they function correctly? Do they work? Do they not work? Are, there things, are they old? Are they fairly new system? Again, what are you irrigating? Is it sports turf? Is it lawn? Is it landscape plants? Is it all three? And I have all three in certain places. Uh, and so can we save money, time, and manpower at the updated systems and then a lot of this involves a site analysis. So saving time. So on Fridays, when I started working in Weston, Fridays I would go, I look at the weather and I say, okay, it's going to rain on Saturday, so I'll shut the irrigation controllers on Saturday. Should be good for Sunday. We'll be good for the rest of the weekend. So I would drive around 13 sites around town, manipulate the dials, right? It used to take me half a day to go and do that. These systems... I can use my phone, I can use my iPad, I can use my desktop computer and do that all at once. So is smart irrigation going to help that? Probably not. Uh, that was in 2016. We had a very, very um, awful growing season. It was a terrible drought year. Uh, and that was from an uh, unnamed source in Massachusetts. Uh, again, is smart irrigation going to help that uh, property? Probably not. There's a, there's a bigger... Uh, there's a bigger infrastructure to, to look at there. Um, here's one of my fields at the high school. He came in in the morning, you look at that, that looks familiar to some people. What is that? Anyone know? What happened? Anyone? Stuck valve all night, right? Ran all night, right in the middle of the field. Yeah, there's not a lot of turf on there. I get it. Um, you know, central control will help prevent this. We pay for every drop of water in Weston. And so we pay, if you look here, I pay at the top tier because we use so much water. It's $9.84 per cubic, for 100 cubic feet. Here's a math for you, all right? 100 cu uh, one cubic foot, seven and a half gallons. So that zone, right, we go back. There's four, there's four heads on this zone. Let's say four heads, 30 gallons a minute, 120 gallons a minute. We're supposed to go on at 10 o'clock at night. I come in at 6 o'clock in the morning. That's eight hours that thing ran, right? 157,000 gallons from that stuck valve. 77 cubic feet. That stuck valve cost me 750 bucks that night. That's real money. Right? That's real money when you're paying for water every single night. $757. How can I go to my boss and say, 
right? When we're looking at for bills, if we had that multiple nights, what's the issue? What's the problem? By the way, that's what that field looks like now, a little better than it did from the original picture. Um, and that was in October after uh, almost a full year of, uh, of wear. So, um, so again, multiple, so let's talk a little bit, multiple controllers, multiple locations. So there's a couple different things. Again, stadium, you might have a single location, single controller. Makes sense? Then you have a single location, multiple controllers. So like my high school and my middle school, we had four controllers at the high school, two controllers at the middle school, single location, multiple controllers. Or my total uh, town-wide facilities, multiple locations, multiple controllers. Makes sense, right? So we have smart control and central control. So here's kind of the difference. One site, remote access, flow, is smart control. Multiple sites with that remote access, the flow, and we'll get into these, is central control. Central control is be able to multiple sites control it in one, one, play, uh, one uh, source at once, right? I take my iPhone, I press the off button, all these controllers go off for the night. I had controllers look like that. Anyone seen one of those before in a while? That was, that was my football stadium controller. Um, you know, does that work for certain situations? Yeah, sure, it does. It, it works. Still hang in there. It works. Um, you know, are there better functions? Are there better equipment that we have now? Sure, there is. Um, but you know, that's what the field looks like today. I don't need a controller. It's, it's plastic. <laughs> it is what it is. But, you know, I got this field. I got that field. I got another field back here. So, you know, again, new controller. $200 might have better features than what I had with that, with that one. Do you need a smart control for one stadium? Maybe, maybe not. So let's talk about these smart functions. So this is a f uh, field at my high school. It's uh, uh, one, two, three. There's four fields here, uh, a little over four acres worth of turf. Here's a controller pad. Here's the valves, boxes, and we'll go through what each one of these do. So again, smart functions. So we have... Remote functions, we have flow sensing, rain, freeze, wind shutoff. We have ET, we have master valves, tracking and graphing, reporting, and then I'll just I'll touch on this one here, the, the personal assist, assistant enabled uh, a little later. But we'll go through each one of these. So again, uh, so mobile access, de desktop access. I have a Rainbird system. Everyone has their own type of system. Um, this is what mine looks like. So if I sit at my desk, this is what the desktop looks like. I go on my iPad or my iPhone, it looks like this. Certain functions, and every manufacturer is different, certain functions you can do on this, but not that, or vice versa. So you have to look at all the different systems. Great opportunity to talk with the trade show uh, tomorrow, talk with the different vendors. Everyone offers different features. Some are good, some are bad. You just got to you know, look, look at it. So how are we going to control all these uh, controllers? So there's Ethernet, Wi-Fi, or cellular. We decided to do cellular. You can see that's a little antenna, and we'll talk about that a little later. So the, con the control system has a SIM card in it. SIM card is an AT&T SIM card, and we pay self every year for each controller. Uh, you know, so why did we do cell cellular? Ethernet isn't accessible everywhere in town. I, don't, I have some places we could have wired in. 
or Wi-Fi. Cell phone was the best option for us. Unfortunately, cell phone coverage in our town is very poor. You know, you got to kind of weigh those things, and we'll talk about why we went with some of the external antennas. There is a cost to host that every year. It's about $100 per controller that I pay. But in turn, I have another set of eyes that's looking at my controllers and, look and seeing what's going on. Uh, I pay an outside company. They manage it and host it. But again, it's another outside pair of eyes looking at seeing what's going on uh, at our facilities. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. Yes, it's a yearly reoccurring cost. When we started doing this project, told my boss, I said, you know, this is an increase in our budget. We're going to need $1,300 a year, basically, for the 13 controllers. Uh, again, subject to cellular signal, and uh, external uh, antennas are a must. They are short dollars, the external antennas, uh, compared to the entire project. So I highly, highly recommend it, no matter what. If the con controller is an inside controller, outside controller, antenna in an antenna wire is $130 or so, do it. Do it no matter what. So flow sensing. So you can see that picture. That's a flow sensor in the ground. These systems work best when you have a flow sensor. As soon as everything kicks on, you're managing flow, you're watching flow, you know exactly what's going on every day. You can have smart control systems without a flow sensor. I highly recommend you, you have flow sensors in your system. So I get reports. I have a daily. I have a monthly total. Um, the flow sensor, I have high flow alarms like that. If I go back to that picture where I had that stuck valve, that's a high flow, broken head, lateral, main line. This will sense low flow. This will sense any valve issues. If I have a valve that's slow to close, right? The diaphragm's not working right. This will know with the flow sensor because it knows things are going to go on and go off. It will learn flow with pumps, and I'll talk a little bit about that. We put a couple pump systems in uh, for our, our systems, and this will learn uh, flow with the pumps. One of the big things is running stations for flow. So what does that mean? It's optimizing that watering window. So if I have a pipe, so one of my, uh, high, at my high school baseball field, we have a three-inch main line. It's a lot of water. We can go about 180 to almost 200 gallons a minute. So if I set the flow for 180 gallons a minute, the system will automatically run, run a combination of zones equaling that 180 gallons a minute. So I'm optimizing that flow. That means my watering window shortens. That means I, and I water at night. As soon as it gets dark, we water. So I, instead of watering six or seven, you know, seven hours a night, I'm shrinking that watering window way down, right? So less disease pressure, less uh, moisture on the leaves, optimizing that watering window. And then there's also potential increasing pump efficiency and pump life. Uh, I'm not a... Pumps are not my forte. We have very fancy pumps, I'll say this. You'll, I'll show you a picture of them. Um, they're a German pump. Supposedly, the better flow you have, the more consistent flow you have, longer life for the pump system. So that's what that flow sensor looks like. And this was a, uh, a quote from the manufacturer. And so it says, a broken inch and a half PVC pipe running at 50 PSI discharge over 10,000 gallons in 30 minutes, 168,000 gallons running for eight hours. Kind of makes sense, right, when I was showing you that, the picture that we had. Flow sensors are capable of detecting these leaks to prevent water loss. 
This is an easy, easy sell to people looking at the cost of water, if you're paying for water. Like I said, for us, we pay for every drop in town, whether it's uh, some resident, uh, res residents do have um, wells, most do not. We're all on municipal water. It's, an actual, it's, you know, it's real cost, real cost. Rain and freeze and wind sensors. We did not do a wind sensor. Um, I looked at a full weather station that would be compatible with our systems. Um, full weather station is 12K, big money. Um, so we did one of these at each site. Again, I'm not promoting Rainbow, we just did it. Uh, but that's, rain, that's a, a rain freeze shutoff sensor. And it's, it's right here on my middle school. Battery life on these have gotten really, really good. Manufacturer says I can go six years without cha before changing a battery. So battery technology is pretty good with these now. Um, they still have those discs. You know, they still swell up when they have water. I think they, they've redesigned them. These work excellent compared to the old, old style ones. Other thing is freeze shutoff. These have this little pad here, and I can set when, it, go, you know, when it, it can go on or off based on freeze. Manufacturer normally has it a, a manual setting of like 38 degrees. Well, us in Massachusetts, 38 degrees, we might want to burn frost off in the morning or, or try to get a mow in, so that's not low enough. So we can manually manipulate that a little lower, 36, 37. I can run heads early in the morning, burn off frost. Uh, but again, this is all manipul manipulated uh, with the system. All right, so master valve. Here's the master valve in the ground. So it's an electric valve on the main line. Interesting to think, uh, I can get some real-time data on my desktop computer, not on my iPad or my iPhone, but I can get some real-time data when the system starts up. And you say, okay, filling pipe. I have a gauge. The gauge goes off the chart when you first start. You say, what's going on? Well, that impeller and that flow sensor is going like mad, right? So it says I'm going at 220 gallons a minute. You say, oh my God, it's, the place is going to blow up, right? Well, no, it's just filling that pipe. The pipe is, there's no water in that pipe with that, with that, with that master valve. So we have what's called, so there's two things. There's a normally open master valve and a normally closed master valve. Uh, I keep them normally closed. Do the same thing, it's just how you set it up. I keep a normally closed master valve that prevents mainline issues. If I had a mainline break, there's no water in that pipe. There's no issue. If I have a normally open valve, there's always water in that pipe. You know, there's, there's some pros and cons to it. Um, normally closed mainline, I can't use snap valves. But I can set it up any day of the year any time of the year, I can manually override that to open up a snap valve. So we had it, we were doing some construction last year. We were building a building. Uh, contractor needed to mix mortar for brick. He needed a water source. Well, there was a snap valve 100 feet away. I said, okay, I'll set it up. I'll have the master valve open every day at 7 o'clock in the morning for you, and it will close at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I can also set it up on how many gallons per minute. So I said, okay, I'm going to give you 20 gallons a minute because I'm also going to bill you at the end, because it's my water. So I can set that up with, with the system. Make, makes good sense. 
So the systems, you can track and graph. I can get a daily track, daily graph of each system. The gray is projected flow. The blue is actual flow. This system will let me know if I have a slow valve to close, because this, right. this will look wrong. So I can automatically tell you if I have a slow closing valve, if I have a bad diaphragm, if there's a rock in it. I know that automatically without ever walking out onto that field. And I can also tell you, I can click on this, and it will tell me which zone it is. So I can tell my guys, say, all right, zone four and field 12, dig up the valve box, figure it out. So big labor saver. Huge labor saver. I get daily reports. 6.30 in the morning, I get two emails. I have an alarm and warning report, and I have a daily run report. Daily run reports, a station run report. This is for my fields two through four, my high schools. This is my varsity uh, baseball field, uh, that lacrosse field that I showed you earlier, and my practice football field. This report comes in every morning. I can tell you, you know, zone one is the infield rotor. My program's A is for 10 minutes, that zone. It ran 10 minutes. Here's my gallons. At the end, I have a gallonage report every single day. They're all PDF form. So my boss says, hey, you know what? You guys have been using a lot of water lately. How much water did you use? His report. Send the email out. I can tell you every zone what we used. Right? You say, this is a little outlier here. Everything's 200, 600, 700. Here's 1,800 gallons. Say, wow, that's a lot, right? But it's 30 minutes on that zone rather than the other zones. It's also on a hill, hillside. But I can tell you that. I, guess I have that information available. The alarm and warning reports, if I had something go wrong that night, it will tell me. If I had a valve that went bad, it tells me. If I have data communication issues, which happens on occasion, it will tell me. My, all my satellites sync at 5 o'clock at night. So anything that I input in, run times, whatever else it is, I get it in by 5 o'clock, it sets a signal out, and it resyncs everything at 5 o'clock at night. 5 o'clock seems pretty good. We're all done for the day. Everything's good to go. I can also make changes before that. So that makes sense. There's some systems, this system doesn't do it, but some systems will give you live data. Uh, I had a a system back in 2011 when I worked for uh, the private school. It would have an overlay of a GIS type map. There was my field. You could see the lateral lines, see the valves. When something kicked on, the valve turned green. I saw live data. Pretty good. So some systems have that ability to have live data. Mine system doesn't. Is it nice to have? Sure. Is it necessary? No, not necessarily. So daily reporting, like I said, I can tell you what we use for water every single night. So here's just a snapshot. So this was July of this year. Here's my high school, 43,000 gallons, another high school field, another high school field, my varsity softball field. Here's an elementary school. I have a little playing field in the elementary school. Here's an elementary school, and I have my town pool. They're connected together. There's 5,000 gallons. I have a recreation soccer field that's 4,000 gallons. He said, that's not a lot. Soils are really heavy. Okay, use less water. My soccer complex uses a lot of water. It's sand-based, 13,000 gallons. Here you go, 124,000 gallons that night, 166,000 cubic foot. Right, that's what it cost. That's what it cost me that night. 
So I have that instant data, instant money, to say how much water we use and what it costs. And again, for my administration, my town manager, my facilities director, my DPW director, my water superintendent, who's looking at my water usage every single day, I know what, I know what we're using. I actually know what I'm using faster than he does. So the last one is that event log report. This is the warning or alarm report that I get. Again, 6.30 in the morning. If you can see this one, it says water is prevented by sensor. It rained that night. So at my elementary school, the rain sensor clicked off at 8.12 at night. That's when it started raining at that side of town. The high school, the sensor clicked off at 8.37. Well, the storm was moving its way through. All right, so we'll talk about developing specifications. So, you know, you need to figure out what systems you like and the features without naming a brand. That's how we operate in a municipal setting. We can't say I want Rainbird or Hunter or whoever it is, but I need to say exactly what I want and what it wants to do. And it's always a balancing act on how to write specifications. And I've only been doing it for a little while, and I'm not as good as Dave could be or Ryan, but, you know, it's all takes time. We do what's, a, what's called approved equals. Sometimes are they really equal? No, not necessarily, but we have to give approved equals. Uh, and we do, and we do that. Um, we have all these systems installed now, so when I install a new system, irrigation system we did last year, I have proprietary equipment. I buy the proprietary equipment, the controller, the flow sensor, the master valve, I buy it instead of the contractor buying it because I know what I want. Because if it's an approved equal, he said, well, you have a Rainbird system, but I'm going to put all Toro systems in. Well, that doesn't work because it doesn't match with my system. I just buy it. I buy the equipment. I have him install it. So that's proprietary equipment. That comes down, down the road. Timing of one of these projects. Don't do it in July and August. Unless you really have to, obviously. Um, we were pretty good. We did ours in late August. Uh, systems coming down for up to two days. You're cutting in the main lines. You're cutting the main line out. You're putting in valves. You're putting in sensors. Um, can you go two days without watering in July? For us, mm, maybe, maybe not. When you're looking for an installer, do they know the systems? Have they seen the site before? Um, you know, it's tough to write specifications, but the, can they be a resource after your installation? Or are they just going to come in, do the job, and walk away? Um, can they make recommendations during the install to save you money? Well, a good, good installer might. Have a site walk. We do pre-bid site walks for all of our projects, whether it's building a building or putting an irrigation controller in. Um, do a site walk. Do the site walk, answer the questions, tour the site with potential vendors, whether they're just providing the equipment or they're doing the installation. Site walk is really a good thing because they get to understand the site. You get a better idea, and they're going to have a better bid if they walk through the, the site. So developing specifications, front-end specifications. This is how we do it. Uh, we have an invitation for bid. You'll all see through all these different things. You know, some of this is just all boilerplate things that we have to do. Um, you know, payment bond, bid bond, con you know, agreements, all that kind of stuff. Similar project experience is probably the most, that one, and project references, right? Are they a qualified guy or are they not? Have they ever done this before or not? Right? Can you make a, make a phone call and say, 
how did it work out for Dave in Lexington? And you said, great. Or you call someone else and you say, no, they were awful, right? So, so similar project experience and project references are unbelievably important. And I say that no matter if you're doing it for a pri private or public bid, get references. Get references. So scope of service. So we'll talk about irrigation, central control, insulation. That's kind of like our main thing. Project schedule. How long do you want this to take? Is this a 45-day project? Is it a 30-day project? Um, you know, lay it out right there for them. Give them your expectations. Site conditions. What are the site conditions? So in my bid, I, I laid out, I said, okay, here's the 13 sites. Here's the, si the, the size of each main line and if it had a pump or not. Give them more information. The more information you give these potential ve uh, vendors, the better the, the bid's going to be. Right? Guarantees, really, really important. Do they guarantee their labor after install? They better. We, uh, we always ask one year, after, one year guarantee on their install, and then also, for Linda, manufacturer's warranty. Give me the manufacturer's warranty for all the equipment, and that's important. Uh, we, we also always ask for that in writing. I ask for it in a notebook. I also ask it in PDF form, so I have it available. And then, you know, technical specs. And we'll go through that. I won't read it all, but that's how we spec things out. Our project, master valves, flow sensors. This is kind of an interesting one. This is our soccer complex installing. We had DC latching solenoids. We had a small irrigation controller that ran off a 9-volt battery that ran the whole soccer complex. So he said, uh, all right, let's figure out the cost. We'll call the utility company, put a pole, run a meter for one irrigation controller. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Okay, so it had DC latching solenoids. They had to put the AC solenoids in, and we put a solar system in. Pretty good. But just different. That was part of it. Most of the time we do alternates on our projects just to keep costs down. We can either accept the alternate or not. And then we had the alternate was a furnish and install booster pump for my high, two high school fields uh, where we had low pressure. We learned we had the low pressure issues because of that assessment. I did a rogue construction project last year. It was $1,000 a day. That adds up pretty quick. Um, but again, something to put in. On the bid, training. Will this, comp will this vendor offer you training? Or are they just going to install the system and walk away? That's really important. How many guys do you want to have trained? You want to have me? You want to have my whole grounds crew trained? You want to have my secretary trained if I'm on vacation to be able to turn systems off? Are they going to install the software on my computer? That's all important things to think about. Put that training piece in your bid specification. So kind of wrapping up here. How do we use our system? Uh, I had some previous, in my a previous experience with central control, and that's not really typical. A lot of people don't have um, a background or have used central control systems before. I used kind of one of the first generations, 2010, 2011. They work great at the time. Blow them out of the water now, now nine, you know, eight, nine years difference. Again, like I told you, Weather-based irrigation on landscape areas. I don't use ET on sports turf. We will this year for some recreation sites. I think it's the one uh, we'll start looking at it. Uh, again, the central control, one-click shutoff. One-click, we shut off all our systems in town. Really easy. 
Uh, the daily emails can pinpoint issues in the field, valves. I can send the crew out. I have that information readily available. Excuse me, if it's a larger issue, I can have my contractor come in. Here's the information readily and, av ready and available. That big thing for sports turf, that water window, we're reducing that water window six to seven hours because we're optimizing flow. You know, big, big change because we're optimizing flow. I have le less we leaf wetness, and when we're mowing at 6.30 in the morning, it's not as wet. We use that municipal water. Again, I can give town officials, my boss, up-to-the-minute water usage. Really, really important. When we're paying every, you know, for every gallon that we use. No more driving around town, changing controllers for the weekend. That rain-free sensors, they work. Till I hear otherwise, some other people have used them for a lot longer than I have. But they work. They really do. Here's the design we're currently working on. Here's our JV football field. You can see the zones. And we'll optimize those for, uh, for flow. So again, kind of a wrap up. What did we learn? Better, uh, better understanding of the decision making process, I hope. Uh, to install smart irrigation systems. Understanding the smart controller system versus the central control system. Inventorying your system is really, really super important. Um, have that assessment done. Uh, have someone who does it all the time do the assessment for you. Thanks for listening to the Sports Field Management Podcast. Check back here for additional content, and also be sure to check out our profile article of Ben Polymer in the April issue of Sports Field Management Magazine, the official publication of the Sports Turf Managers Association.